0: Nicholas Bornelli of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome everyone to our podcast series Riding the Waves of a Lifetime. This Capital Link podcast series gives us the opportunity to interact and discuss with industry leaders, maritime industry leaders, who share with us life and career experiences, as well as their unique insight into the industry's challenges, opportunities, risks, and direction. And we are delighted today to uh, discuss with Mats Breglund, the chief executive officer of uh, Pacific Basin. I know Mats for a long time, going back to our New York days. I always had a lot of respect for him and he is one of the people who have made a very positive uh, contribution and impact on the industry. I'm not gonna go through uh, Matt's CV, but I will mention a couple of things which I find very interesting. First of all, Matt has done it all in a way. I mean, he has worked uh, as a group controller, chief financial officer, head of crude operations, chief operating officer, and of course, for the last nine years, he has been the chief executive officer of Pacific Basin. And he has had, and I hope we will discuss that, a transformational impact on Pacific Basin. When he went there, the company had 34 ships owned. Now, the owned uh, fleet is over 110 vessels, plus a lot more that they charter in. So Mars has worked for companies' names that we all know, the Stena Group, Concordia Maritime, Overseas Shipholding Group, that's where we got to know each other from New York, Chemoil uh, Energy, Pacific Basin for the last nine years. And he has been in Europe, in Asia, in the US. He has worked in Sweden, the United States, Singapore, and Hong Kong. So, Max is a man of the world, as you know, perfectly fitting for global shipping, which is a global industry. So, uh, I would like to welcome him, thank him for being with us. And, Max, I wanted to start our interview asking you how did it all begin? How did you get into shipping?
1: was a coincidence really and thank you nicolas for that kind introduction i was growing up in in gothenburg sweden and i was studying there and i had many jobs during my school days but uh, a lot of gothenburg companies came to the business school uh, soon before i graduated for a jobs fair so volvo and skf and Stena came to to the school and I got talking to the head of HR at Stena. And a few weeks later, he called me and offered me a job as a business controller at Stena Line, the the ferry company. And I stayed with Stena then for 20 years uh, in in many different uh,
0: jobs and roles. So it's a coincidence. Yeah, so I see Volvo on one side of the transportation industry has been after you (laughs) from the very beginning. So let, let me ask you, you have been in business now for over 35 years, close to 40 years. So you had a very rich, very uh, successful career. If I can ask you, what do you consider major milestones in your career so that we go along with the theme riding the waves of a lifetime?
1: Mm. I think maybe the first one I would mention is moving to the US uh, within the Stena group. I got a chance to move to the US to work for Stentex, Uh, It was a 50-50 joint venture between Stena and Texaco, a fantastic uh, uh, arrangement where at Stena we had a first call on all of Texaco's crude and product tanker transportation worldwide and Caltex as well. So, A very creative solution for Texaco's transportation needs. We sat at the Texaco uh, trading floors when I was based at their headquarters in, in New York, first as the vice president and then as the president of of that company and what I well one our family kind of got a taste for the international life and living abroad Uh, and secondly I felt that I learned shipping also from the customers from the oil trader side uh, from the charter side so to speak and understood the value of, uh, of, of that I had learned ship owning and operating from Stena but Stentex taught me the the charter side. So that, that I would say is one milestone. Second one, which I felt was a great achievement for me was, uh, creating and listing, uh, what was called Arlington tankers yes, on course. the New York stock exchange, 2004, you know, kind of early days of the strong cycle. And it was a very successful IPO, the first shipping IPO in a long time. Uh, we spun off uh, six tankers from from Stena, uh, and I learned a lot about the capital markets, uh, good and bad things about the capital markets by that uh, project. But uh, it was very, very, uh, I felt very kind of satisfied with that achievement. We then copied it at OSG with by way of double hull tankers, right, which was a carbon copy of uh, Arlington tankers and of course i would be remiss not to then mention the privilege of uh, being offered to become the ceo of uh, pacific base in my my current current job for the last 9 years we have tremendous team here and i think in my view the company has the world's best uh, platform and business model within a handy size and supermax uh, tankers so those 3 Uh, things stand out, I would say.
0: So I will go to uh, the Pacific Basin, uh, you know, years and uh, uh, experience in in a minute. But before we go there, let me ask you, you've had a long career, everybody in their career has uh, lots of challenges. And uh, if you can isolate one or two for us, what do you consider the major challenge we have faced? And how do you overcome them?
1: Uh, well, t- 2016 was a really tough year. Uh, financially, we had 45-year low freight rates in dry bulk, so that was tough, and we, we came through it. I mean, most of my major challenges have come through with great support. I've been fortunate to have very supportive bosses and and boards and, and shareholders and, and colleagues. So I think if you always kind of... Uh, work hard and try, uh, try hard work, do what's best for the company. You will come through, you will come through challenges. And, uh, uh, you know, one thing that I've learned is that it's very important to, to share problems early. If you start to see something, uh, be troublesome, uh, you know, while there's time to adjust some of the biggest, failures that i've witnessed is people trying to solve things themselves or or take it all on their own shoulders so one thing that i always try to apply is to talk about problems early while there is time to adjust
0: of course so now going into pacific basin you have been there for nine years you have had a transformational impact uh, on on this company and uh, If you can take us through this journey and what has been the biggest change at Pacific Basin during the nine years that we have been there?
1: Well, Pacific Basin uh, has long tradition and knowledge and expertise in handy size, primarily uh, dry bulk. And we have grown Supramax and Ultramax a lot recently but it was always a strong core platform, strong business model. Uh, But what we did, uh, was to sell out of a lot of non-core businesses in the early years of of my time with Pacific Basin. We had quite troublesome investments in uh, roros and tugboats and a lot of complex joint ventures, uh, real estate terminals and and things. And we sold out of all the non-core businesses. And then we instead invested heavily in what we know, what, uh, what we are large at, what we are good at, Uh, And that is only a handy size in Supermax. So we are an extremely clean structure today. We own everything 100% and invest, especially for a publicly listed company, right? People want to know what they invest in. So we were too uh, widespread in the early days. And now we are extremely focused. We like focus. uh, And uh, we're tremendously well positioned now, I would say, with a much larger owned fleet, as you mentioned, right? We had 34 owned ships. Now we have 117 owned and another 15, 20 on long-term charters. We have 135 ships with a very competitive and fixed substantially cost structure. So when rates go up, as they have done recently, we have tremendous leverage on that. And on top of that, we have a complementary operating business. So we have a total of about 270 ships on the water today. But obviously in today's market it's the owned ships that is the core. We control the service and reliability and the cost structure is fixed. So we we relied way too much on chartered ships uh 10 years ago and now we have a much larger owned fleet that we manage ourselves all the way through technically crewing wise safety maintenance and and commercially of course so
0: very interesting so now moving towards the industry uh you're a person with a a large industry footprint and uh, not only operationally but also you are a person of strong well-argumented opinions. Uh, So can I ask you what do you consider the two, three biggest challenges that the industry is facing today in the direction it is going to?
1: It would obviously have to be COVID still and the crew problems and repatriating crew. For us primarily Chinese crew have been incredibly difficult to to repatriate uh, and get them home to, to their families. Uh, India now is becoming similarly difficult, right? So that is not over by any means. And uh, uh, that's gotta be the, the biggest one by far in, in the short term. Of course, decarbonization is, is a big challenge, but I also think it's a very nice opportunity because it creates this time where It doesn't make sense to order new ships with fuel oil engines uh, and we have to use the existing ships uh, for a period It's too early to order new ships because we don't know what technology will win. So I think it sets up for for a a tight market uh, so that we can make some money and save up for the real new low carbon uh, ships, which will cost a lot more money. Uh, So I would say those are the biggest uh, challenges in in front of us. But again, also also a big opportunity in that decarbonization.
0: Of course. So uh, another uh, area that I think I find very challenging is technology. Technology has been changing rapidly on a day-by-day basis, and the pace of uh, change has been accelerated by the pandemic. So if you look back, what is the biggest digital change that you have experienced in the industry? And what do you think we're likely to see uh, looking ahead?
1: I think maybe the speed uh, is the biggest change. Uh, I don't think our industry has been, uh, you know, that vastly affected. Uh, I've been hearing for 30 years of uh, Shipbrokers brokers going out of business and, and platforms taking over and so on. It hasn't really happened, but I would say the speed of information, the speed of uh, and, and the volume of, uh, of information that we have access to, uh, you know, we, we today have uh, and it's much more forward looking information. It's not only after the fact we don't we don't have to wait until the month is over. And then two weeks after we come up with a result today, we look forward, we we have the the uh, vessel information and the cargo information much more forward looking on an up to the minute basis, we have a a daily P&L here uh, that's automatically updated looking not only for the current month, but also for the month ahead and so on. And I only see more of that going forward. And we're using all this information to fine tune and to optimize everything from uh, Fuel consumption and trying to learn commercial uh, kind of conclusions from how the fleet is positioned uh, going forward, et cetera. So, uh, but it's I mean, what I really like about this business is that it's still a people's it's still a people business. So relationships still really makes a difference, and it, and it always will be. And and I'm very happy uh, for that to be to be the fact. So,
0: absolutely. And by the way, you just. Uh brought me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, Technology, you know, starts the discussion about automation and suddenly automation may supplant the human factor. But up to what extent? And as you mentioned at the end of the day, the human factor may be involved in a different way, but it's always indispensable. So to what extent do you think we're gonna see automation becoming a prevalent form in this industry?
1: I think it will come, uh, it is coming. I think in the offices it, it can, and it will uh, take away the, the most boring uh, monotonous work of you know keying in invoices and things like that, right? So you can free up time for the office people to analyze more. Again, we have all this data, we don't analyze it enough. So you know, we can get rid of boring routine job on the ships. I I think what gets a little bit uh, too little attention is how we can use technology for reducing incidents and increasing safety. I don't think that gets enough attention these days when it's all about the the environment is of course, enormously important and decarbonization is, is the future, but safety almost gets forgotten when everything is about the environment, right? So how can we use technology sensors and so on to avoid machinery blowing up, to avoid incidents, to have more alarms or, or whatever, right? So I wish we would see more attention on that uh, and, and use the technology for safety improvements.
0: So if I go to the next uh, topic, um, let's talk about company culture. I think that is a vitally important ingredient for a successful company. And uh, I think, uh, you know, this starts from the top. You are CEO, uh, you're instilling a certain set of uh, directives and values to the company to follow. So how important is company culture in running a successful company like yours? And is there a motto that you have uh, directed your team to follow?
1: Well, again, safety obviously goes without saying, right? I, I had a great boss, uh, Lars Carlson, uh, who always said, if you think safety is expensive, try an accident. And, and uh, we had a lot of, I mean, culture is absolutely critical. And we have a, our tagline, our company tagline is with you for the long haul. So I think thinking long-term is absolutely critical in everything we do and it guides us in many in many decisions whether it's uh, customer relationships or whether it is maintaining a ship right we always maintain ships to as if we were going to keep them forever so to speak right we never stop maintaining because we're planning to sell or something like that so don't take shortcuts don't save a few hundred dollars to uh, to uh, you know you maybe you get a, a weaker counterpart right so uh, and to honor our commitments, to be caring and respectful in in our relationships, we will, we expect to meet everybody again. Uh, and that should guide how we behave, right? So repeat business is, is a very profitable kind of positive circle. So always treat your counterparts with respect. And if, as if you're going to meet them again.
0: Matt, what a wonderful uh, way to put it. And you're absolutely right. I think uh, it goes back to what you were saying, shipping is a people business and uh, repeat business is great, but you can only have repeat business if your customers really believe in you and they come back. Um, So that's a a terrific uh, foundation. Um, Now, as the CEO of shipping companies, you have always been on the go, of course, you know, in the last year or so with the pandemic, I think we have all been kind of grounded. Uh, but I was wondering, how do you balance personal life and business life, knowing that you have to travel all, all over the world? And uh, of course, now you have announced that at uh, the end of July, you will be going back to your native Sweden, um, retiring from the CEO position of Pacific Basin. So, what is uh, in your agenda? for you uh, post-Pacific Basin?
1: Well, how to balance your first part of that question. I, I am very fortunate here to have tremendously talented people around me that I trust 100%. So that, that reduces stress, right? So when you know that you can trust your, your colleagues so we have a lot of people here at Pacific Basin who have worked with us for 20, 30 years, and they are extremely uh, good at what they do. And as I said, we're focused on only doing one or two things, right? Handies and Supras. So that allows us to uh, to know what we're doing. Uh, and I think it, that's also a good way to reduce stress. But uh, i am also very fortunate to have a super supportive uh, wife who have been with me we've been together since high school oh. so she helps me to uh, relax and then i always uh, find uh, exercise a super good way to to uh, work some steam off so to speak so sports and exercise is a very good way to to balance and. And going forward, I hope to do more of, more of the latter and a bit less work, right? So uh, I, I don't plan to take another full-time job, but I do plan to stay involved in a couple of different ways and, uh, but more, more sports and outdoor things and, and a bit less time behind the computer screen.
0: By the way, I remember coming to your office in Hong Kong. Uh, I haven't seen that in many offices that you have uh, an exercise room right in, uh, in the office. So I'm sure that you, you avail yourself of it quite frequently.
1: <laughs> yeah, we also have great nature here, right outside our door here. So people go out and jog and so on. And I think we encourage that uh, a lot. It's a good way to, to relax.
0: So you have built uh, a great career, very successful, lots of things to reminisce, reflecting back if you were to give uh, an advice to a younger self, uh, to your younger self, what would that be? Would you do things the same way again?
1: Yeah, I think I would. I I, uh, I try to not worry too much, so to speak. I would kind of do it all over again. Uh, I don't regret anything, but it's also haven't been that planned. So I think it's just you work hard, do your best. The good things will will come to you. And uh, one shouldn't worry too much about the future, just uh, you know, take it as it comes and do your best. And uh, uh, do I, I like the saying, do what you like, like what you do. So try to find a role that, you, that you're good at. And that means that you typically probably will like it because you're good at it. And then you're in a positive kind of spiral. So if you're not in a job that you, that you don't like, it's difficult to, to you know, do something good of it, right? So then you, you should watch, watch out for a different role maybe, which you're better at, which you're more suited for, and then you get into a positive spiral, so.
0: So, you know, we, we look at uh, 2020, 2020 has been a tough year for everybody. So has it given you a different perspective on a number of things? And uh, also, if you look back over the years, what has been the hardest part about your job or the best part about your job
1: i would say uh you know the 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 perspective we have gotten uh i would say is uh, we kind of always taken traveling for granted right and free movement and free interaction so what what the last year has as given is a different perspective on that, that. We can't take that for granted. It's tough to be international. Families are having a tough time, right? Because they can't really see each other. So that's difficult. Uh, the hardest part of uh, my job. Uh, I don't like losing money, and, and the best part is making money. But obviously, the other than that. Uh, when when and if we have an incident uh, on on board for example and, and you know a serious incident uh, it is very tough when we can't repatriate people i mean we had a one of our chief officers lost his son and we couldn't get him back for almost three months they refused to let him off the ship in country after country right i mean that is really, really tragic. And seafarers should be treated better than that, right? And, uh, but, uh, you know, best best part uh, right now, it, it is uh, reading the P and L every morning, right? That uh, in, we have worked so hard for so many years to set up for, for this market. People have maintained the ships and, you know, maintained uh, cargo contracts and customer relationships. And now to see it all come through uh, in the p l is is a very satisfying uh, feeling
0: well we are in a wonderful period for shipping and especially for dry bulk shipping and of course you are the expert but from what I hear from people that I talk to it seems that the fundamentals are there and this industry has legs and uh, it's not just a short-term uh, phenomenon
1: yeah I agree
0: so If you were to give some advice to to people to follow uh, as a guideline for their life, uh, professional life or personal life, is there some kind of advice to give to them?
1: Well, again, do do what you like, like what you do. Um, I mean, and don't worry too much uh, on the business side. uh, I have been learning a lot from, from my bosses over the years, uh, I have a lot of, uh, you know, Dan Olson, I have tremendous respect for, of, of Stena. Uh, you know, options always have, never give, uh, borrow when you can, not when you need to, because when you need to, you can't. Secondhand ships, you make more money on if you, you know, buy the right ones at the right time, they always have more. More upside and, and higher return on capital. I think there's too much hype on uh, on on age, right? You remember Lars Carlson, age is not an indication of fitness. You got to maintain the ships and 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 uh, middle. You know, you can have secondhand ships that are uh, tremendously effective uh, even today. Uh, so those are some some things that I've been fortunate to learn from other smart people.
0: So as a closing question, I wanted to ask you, is, is shipping an industry that younger people should be coming to?
1: I would say so, absolutely, right? It's a tremendously international dynamic uh, you know, industry. And people should, uh, should go for it, absolutely. It has allowed me to move around and travel and get to know so many you know, people and cultures and companies. So um, I would wholeheartedly recommend it, absolutely, yes.
0: Thank you. much. we had a wonderful discussion. We're coming to the end of our session. Um, I would like to thank you very much for sharing uh, your insight always unique always authoritative uh, and always uh, great opinions and and directives any closing statement before we wrap up.
1: No, I think I would just repeat uh, how fortunate position we are in now we're in Pacific Basin with this large fleet with tremendous uh, upside right and I would also. Take the opportunity to uh, to say that Hong Kong is a fantastic place to do business from. It's an amazingly dynamic uh, place, both from a business and private standpoint, with uh, super safe uh, environment, nature, mountains and beaches that are tremendous, and a city life that is uh, you know bustling, with the coolest restaurants and bars, and most importantly, the people here are fantastic. Uh, the, the values, the work ethic, uh, and, you know, it, it's a really privilege to uh, to work here in Hong Kong.
0: I couldn't agree more with you, and uh, I would like also to say from our end that uh, we are privileged to... Uh, have been able to host a couple of events in Hong Kong. We are committed to uh, continue doing that. And I'd like to thank you, among other people, for your steadfast support. And uh, indeed, Hong Kong is an amazing place. And I can't wait to come back.
1: We look forward to to have you here, Nicolas. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you for today's uh, discussion. Uh, Tremendously wonderful to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nicolas. Thank you.